Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Welcome. So glad to be with you this morning. Yes, Be Fearless was really amazing. Our church unleashed a generosity wave in Orange County and around the world that I know was felt, and that's because everyone participated. So we're so glad that you did that. Now, uh, as you know, we finished a series on Jesus, and um, then we did the Be Fearless. We're about to start a series on Ephesians after Mother's Day. So I have the privilege of a couple of Sundays where I could have chosen anything to teach. And so as I was praying and preparing for us, I decided that um, maybe it would be good for me to teach out of the passages that are my calling. And not just my calling, but the calling for the chapel in this space. And so I've chosen this passage out of Colossians in an effort is perhaps to give you cast vision for why we're here what it is that we're here to do, and I hope that you'll find that there's something there for you as well. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go find Colossians, and while you're doing that, let me just set the context. Have you ever worked really, really hard on doing something only to find out that the results that you expected did not happen? You got something else instead. Anybody done that? You worked hard, you worked hard, and what happened was not what you expected. So I decided I wanted to be, uh, get healthier. I was in my late 30s, I was getting close to 40, and I thought, you know, I need to get fit, I need to get in better shape, so I decided I was going to run. And I signed up for a 5K, which is three miles, that was happening in our neighborhood, and that day I showed up with my tennis shoes, which were pretty worn, and the wrong clothing, because it was cold in the morning, and I thought I I was going to need warm clothing. You don't need warm clothing when you're running. Uh, But let's just say, I was not dressed properly, I showed up to this thing, I had never practiced running before. And I ran three miles. I almost died. I mean, it took forever for me to run that thing. But I finished. And I thought, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to do this some more. So I signed up for a five, another 5K and then another 10K. And pretty soon, I'm running quite a bit. And I get a little bit like, yeah, I can do this. So I signed up for a half marathon. Now, this half marathon is it's the hardest half marathon in Southern California. It goes from the Del Mar racetracks to La Jolla, over Torrey Pines. Anybody been there? It's nasty. Oh my goodness. It's a nasty run. And I almost died running that half marathon, but I completed it. So I thought, I'm ready for the next big challenge. I'm getting healthier. And so I signed up for a marathon. This time I signed up for the Long Beach Marathon. And I start running. And every week I would add another mile, a couple miles, so I could get close to the 26.2 crazy miles that a marathon entails. And I got up to mile 18. One Saturday, I finally hit mile 18. I'm thinking, I'm doing good. I'm going to be fine on this marathon. I'm going to be in such great shape. I'm going to be healthy when I'm done with this marathon. The next day, I couldn't run for two minutes. I didn't know this, but unbeknownst to me, all those years of running, I was actually not getting healthier. I was getting unhealthier. So it turns out that I was born with a hip that was degenerated. It already had a a malformed femur. And every time I ran 
and that impact was happening in my hip. My hip was aging. I was in my 40s, but my hip was becoming 65, and then 70, and then finally I couldn't run at all. And when I went to the doctor, they're like, you're done with running. I was going after it to get healthier, but I was becoming unhealthier. Two surgeries later, thankfully, I didn't get a hip replacement. I don't run anymore. I have to find another way to get healthy. And I think in so many ways, our Christian faith can be like that. Sometimes we, we go at it in, in a way, and we're looking for a certain outcome, uh, but perhaps the way we're going about it is not really reaching that outcome. And as we're going to look at the scripture today, my desire is that we would set our eyes and fix our eyes on the proper goal of our Christian journey, that we might reach that goal and not hurt ourselves or others along the way, right? I, I like to think of it like a bowling alley. Uh, I mean, anybody fans of bowling? I did that once. Oh, my goodness, I was not so good at it. Uh, but here's the thing about bowling I, I, that I think you can relate to the Christian journey, if you can imagine the, the pins as being our times, our talents, our treasure, uh, you know, way down there, and then you have the ball that you throw down. The, oh, this is a really nice aisle right here. We could bowl right here. <laughs> but you throw, the ball that you throw down is the desires that you have to draw close to God, right? And the, um, the gutters as the places we don't want to go in this journey of connecting our desire to draw close to God, to our use of our talents and treasure, what we have to watch out for in either place is that we might get into this place of legalism where we think we're all so good, we're religious, we show up to church, we read the Bible, we give a few bucks, look at me, I'm all that. I don't need Jesus because I'm all good. That's not good, right? And the other side is we might say, well, Jesus has saved me. I don't have to do anything. I am saved by grace alone, and therefore... It's not necessary for me to put my faith into action. James says that that kind of faith is, faith is faith that is dead. Faith that does not demonstrate itself in us using up all of our time, treasure, and, and our, our talents for God's purposes. That's a dead faith. And so we want to avoid the gutters. We want to keep our focus directly. And I think Colossians is going to help us with that. I think as we look at Colossians today, we're going to answer some basic questions. Why are we here? What is our goal? And I want you to notice that if you, if you have your Bibles with you, we, we love to bring the Bibles at the chapel. We want to write all of them. But if you have your Bibles with you, the letter of Colossians was written to believers. We know this in verse 2. It says, to God's holy people. To God's holy people, meaning to God's the believers of Christ, to those who have been set aside because they've given their life to Christ. So here's the thing. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you don't even care about Jesus, you're just here because someone forced you because you're going to lunch after, or you're here because you're curious, or you've been coming to church for a long time, but you still don't get Jesus, this message hopefully will give you a picture of what those who say they are followers of Jesus should be like. This message is for those of us in the room who say Christ is our Lord and Savior. We have given our lives to him. And Paul is going to remind us what is our goal. What is it that we're to do now that we're believers? So my prayer is that if you're new to this, you're going to be watching as we learn ourselves how to, how to be all that God calls us to be. But hopefully that you're inspired as you hear that. And for those who are believers, I pray that we are sharpened today by God's word. Right? That was Paul's intent. 
This letter was written to a church in Colossae, which was a church that Paul did not plant. He planted a church in Ephesus. That church grew so much, it also planted churches, including the church for the Colossians. And Paul writes to them, and he tells them, I haven't met you. To those I haven't met, I send greetings, and I remind you of who you are. Paul mentions their leader. His name was Epaphras. And he says that Epaphras visited Paul in prison to tell them about the Colossian church. He tells them a good report. These are people who love Jesus. These are people who are on fire. These are people who are faithful. But he also tells Paul, but I'm worried about them because they they have gutters. In their cultural context, they can easily fall in one direction or the other. So Paul, would you pray for them? And Paul's letter is his attempt to remind those Christians, this is your goal. Fix your eyes on this goal. With all that said, we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 28 and verse 29. Today, I'm going to teach out of verse 28. Next Sunday, not tomorrow, next Sunday, I will preach out of verse 29. But listen to this word. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let's read it together. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I stress strenuously content with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The goal, Paul says, I'm going to put this slightly out of order. The goal of everything that Paul is doing is to do what? To present everyone mature in Christ. Paul states the goal, the end goal is to bring those into maturity into Christ. In fact, when he says present, it would be the same way you've been to a wedding when a father brings the, the bride, his daughter or, or you know, relative, and he brings that bride to the groom to present, to present all believers mature in Christ. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? There's a Greek word behind that called teleos, which means to have reached its end, its completion, its perfection. It is Paul's desire to have every believer, every believer, every person be in complete conformance to Jesus, to become like Jesus. That is the goal for you and for me. Our path, our direction as believers is to become more and more like the Son of God. That is what spiritual maturity means. Now, you know, I could go through the Bible and go through all the different uh, characteristics and all the character qualities of Jesus and tell you what maturity looks like. But for the sake of time, we'll go down to a few verses that gives us the clearest picture. What does it look like when a person is mature in Christ? When Jesus was asked, what are the two most important commandments? In Mark chapter 12, he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you can measure how mature you are in Christ 
and by looking at how your relationship with God stands and your relationship with one another. To the extent that your relationship with God is healthy and your relationship with people are healthy, you are becoming more and more like Christ. You see, you could be very uh, upset with God. You might be in a position where you're like, you're not close to God. You, 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 don't, you feel very distant from God. But if you have really good relationships with others, you only have half the equation. Or you might go, hey, God and I, we're like buddies. We're like close. We hang out all the time. We, I really listen to God. But you don't have a good relationships with others, then you still have areas to grow in your maturity Christ. To be a mature Christian We must be in close relationship with God and in close relationship with one another. Our maturity is measured by how well we're doing in those two areas. So it begs the question, how mature are you? How mature do you feel? And you might think, oh, not so good, Inez. I got a long way to go. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Listen, even Paul himself When he wrote the letter to the Philippian church, he says, I'm striving. I'm still not arriving. See, not any of us have arrived or have been perfected or have completed. Any Christian that you meet that thinks like, oh, I am exactly like Jesus. Take a look. This is Jesus right here. Look at it. Perfect. It's a liar, right? None of us are there. All of us are working progress. All of us are maturing in Christ. It's, it's the journey that goes on and on until we're in the very presence of God. That's why you're here. That's why we gather every Sunday. That's why we gather together. This is why we listen to God's word. This is why we sing songs that we might become more and more mature in Christ. And so then what we're going to look at is whose job is it to help us mature in Christ? I know what you're going to say. You're going to go, well, yours, Inez, you're the pastor. Right? How many of you think it's my job to help you mature in Christ? <laughs> Listen to what Paul says. He says, he is the one we proclaim. He is the one we. We. He doesn't say, okay, it's my job to make you spiritually mature. Who does, what does he say? It is our job. It's our collective job to grow in maturity and help each other out. Have you ever heard this quote? It comes from a book called Scaling Up. It says this. This is a little story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it, so everybody thought, (laughs) I love this, that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blames somebody for when nobody did what anybody could have done. I got through that. (laughs) All this to say, we, we get to help one another mature in Christ. You see, this is why you're here. You're here to grow in maturity in Christ, but also to help brothers and sisters who are with us to mature in Christ. Paul tells us every believer is a minister. In Romans 15, it says, You yourselves are full of goodness, filled with the knowledge and competent to instruct one another. You already have what it takes to begin the journey of helping a fellow brother and sister in Christ grow in their maturity. In fact, he says you're anointed to do so. In 1 John, it says this, You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. 
And as for the anointing you receive from him, it remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he has taught you, remain in him. Remain close to God. Let him teach you how to teach others. Let him mature you so that you can help others mature. It is our collective job. This is why we must gather together in community to help one another mature in Christ. Why are you here? You're here because you want to mature in Christ, but that's the same reason the person next to you is here. He or she wants to mature in Christ. God wants to use you, yes, you, to help another person mature in their faith. And we may not always get it right, so Paul gives us the method and how to do this. That's on the back of your outline. He tells us how is it that we ourselves mature and how can we help another mature? The first thing he tells us is that we proclaim. He says, he is the one we proclaim. Now, this word, I don't know if you use it around as you're, you know, shopping and talking about, I proclaim Cheetos are good. No, but proclaiming is essentially to, to tell it out, to, to announce, to declare, to be true. And so when we proclaim, we're essentially telling others of a truth that we believe. Now, you know, this Sunday, we were singing songs. We were proclaiming the name of Jesus, weren't we? The songs that we sing when we gather together are words of declaration. We come to learn how to proclaim the name of Jesus. And this comes from uh, the first century where we didn't have email or texting or phones or the post office for that matter. And if a king wanted to send a message to another king or to a, to a, a city, he would send a herald a messenger that would come and declare, proclaim the king's message. And so what they would do is they would get the message from the king, run or ride on the way to where they had to go, and they had to give the message exactly as they were told. It wasn't their job to change the message, adjust it, make it smaller, make it better. Their job was simply to state the facts as the king had given. See, what is your job and my job? When we proclaim Jesus... We are to proclaim the truths as he has given them to us. We are to simply state who he is. It's what we get to practice when we sing. We get to declare who he is. So when we proclaim him, wherever we go, we are essentially pointing to who Jesus is. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to be even all that smart. We just have to be obedient to state Jesus for whom he is. He can speak for himself right? Proclaim Jesus. And it says everyone, to everyone, to every man, woman, and child in this world. It's not, it's not for some, it's for everyone. John 17 says this, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom we have sent. You see, it is God's desire that every person know him. It is God's desire that every person knows who Jesus Christ is, and he sends us to do that. In 1 Peter, listen to this. It says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So we can't just go out there and like blast the name of Jesus at people 
and not be cognizant of their situation, their needs, their pain. You know, the one one thing I hear all the time from people who don't talk to me about Christianity, stay away from me, stay from, don't even start that conversation. You know what I really see on a constant basis? The reason they're so anti-Christian is because they've been hurt by a Christian. They've, been, they've seen someone live out, quote, being a Christian, put on the label of Christian, but not being mature in Christ at all. You know what's the most annoying thing in the world is when you're on the freeway and the car next to you turns on their blinker to come your lane and they're driving and driving and driving with their blinker and you're like, do I pass them? Do I get next to them? Do I say, it's like, all right, already do what you say you're going to do. You're going to turn lanes, turn lanes already, right? There are a lot of people who are like, you say you're a Christian, but I don't see a smit of evidence in your life about that. And not only that, but your Christianity is actually hurting because you're not being honest. You're not being real. And that's the thing is when we, when we share Jesus, we need, to be, we need to be whimsical. We need to be loving. We need to be patient. We need to be respectful. And we need to be creative. Jim went to Vietnam not too long ago with a bunch of guys and he took with him a couple of Bibles that were in Vietnamese language. Uh, he thought maybe he would give them to someone. He didn't know who he would give it to. And they were on the bus doing all these kinds of uh, ministry work. Uh, uh, it was a medical kind of a mission trip. Now, in the country of Vietnam, what they do is they assign to you a government employee to be sure that these crazy Christians from the U.S. aren't doing something that actually harms people, aren't forcing people to become Christians in exchange for something. And so this woman was with them the whole trip, and uh, one of the guys, his name was Gene Malway, he's already passed away, um, he got to talking to her, and he realized she was not a Christian, and he wanted her to know about Jesus. And so he said, hey, Jim, can I borrow one of those Bibles? And so he grabs the Bible, and he says to her, we brought these Bibles to give them to someone who might need them, and we want to be sure it's a good translation, because none of us can read Vietnamese. So would you mind reading one of these verses and telling me what it says so I make sure that the translation is correct? She so goes, would you please find the book of John? It's somewhere back here in the Bible. And so she finds the book of John in Vietnamese, and she goes, would you find uh, chapter 3, verse 16? And so he, she finds that chapter, and then he goes, would you tell me what it says? So she reads it in Vietnamese, and then she tells him what it says in English. And he goes, Great, that's a perfect translation. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, right? Who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Perfect, that's a great translation. I feel good. If I give this to someone, they're going to have a good Bible. And then he said nothing. Silent. She goes, what does that mean? And then Jean and her got into a conversation. See, sometimes... We proclaim the name of Jesus, and then maybe the best thing, next thing, is to just like, be quiet. Let someone tell you. You know, if someone's been hurt by a Christian, they're going to tell you. They're going to ask questions. They might even complain. Maybe we create space. We proclaim, and then we create space for the Lord to do what only he can do. Right? We proclaim. Why are you here? to learn how to proclaim the name of Jesus, to hear Jesus be proclaimed so that we might go out there and proclaim him in truth and in spirit. The second thing Paul tells us is to admonish. Admonish. Anybody use that word on a daily basis? I had to practice how to say it just to teach it. It's, not, it's a funny English word, and often it's translated in a way that actually brings harm because 
The word in the Greek, the original Greek, was neotheteo, and it's actually two words put together. One word which means mind, and another word means to place. So it's meaning to say, to admonish is to place the mind in the right place, to, to redirect the mind. And so when we admonish one another, it's not that, yes, it's translated warn. It might be that you need to warn someone, but it also could be encouragement. Someone might be discouraged. Someone might be believing lies, and you need to set their mind straight. But it's done in love. He says, admonishing one another. It means you and I, as we mature in our faith, or for us to mature in our faith, we need to not only be willing to correct perhaps the mind of a brother or sister, but be corrected ourselves. We need to allow and give space for people to speak into our lives and go, hey, you're not thinking straight. You know, look at this. Let's look at this together because I think you're, not, you're missing something. Or, or I want to encourage you. You're actually on the right track and you don't even know it. And we get to do that for others. Others get to do that for us. Paul's modeling this for us throughout all of his letters. Listen, in Acts 20, it says this. Be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning, that word warning is this uh, neotheteo, of you night and day with tears. God does it out of compassion and love. Not God, Paul. Out of compassion and love, he warns the other, but out of love for them. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, neotheteo. You, as my dear children, we help one another out of love, the way a parent lovingly corrects a child. In 2 Thessalonians, he says, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. See, out of love. Hebrews 13 says, you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And then lastly, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with anyone. You notice that none of these words, none of these modeling has anything to do with being judgmental or being condemning towards another or being rude towards another person or bossing them around. To warn another is simply to help and encourage them on the right path. And other people need it, but you need it most of all. I need it. I need people in my life who will correct me if I get off my path. That's how I will mature in Christ. That's how you will mature in Christ. And when I am, I am tasked with the job of helping another, I have to work on my own before I can help someone else, right? right. And so it encourages us to mature in our faith. Why are you here? You're here to be connected, to learn how to encourage one another. Now, I skipped this earlier, but I want to stop here for a moment. Why do you come to the chapel? I want to talk about that for a second. Many of you, this is your first time. You're like, I don't know. This is my first time. I don't know anything about the chapel. Someone said to check it out, and I'm glad that you're here. But for those of you who had come on a regular basis, let's talk about why you come to the chapel. Because if our goal is to mature in Christ, if our goal is to draw closer to God, why is this space the space you have chosen? And here's what I want you to know. There's lots of churches you can go, and our job is to go wherever we go to mature in Christ. Here at Irvine, we have two different places you can go. You can go to the worship center, which is, if you don't know it, there's a really big building there with a lot of people. 
you know, I've heard this a lot. People par- drive into our parking lot. They go, I'm going to go to this church, Mariners, and they see this building. And you think, that must be the church. They come in here. They have no clue that there's 2,500 people sitting over there. So we have that experience, but we have this experience happening at the same time, right? But it's different. How is it different? Now, it's different. It's not better, all right? It's different. It's not better. Say it with me. Is it better? No, no, you don't believe me. Is it better? I need to hear you say this. Is it better? No, it's not better. This is not comparison. Some of you are going, yes, it's better. No. It's better for you. Maybe this is why. Because when you come to the chapel, as you seek to mature in Christ, you want to hear yourself sing. Maybe for you, hearing your voice as you sing it out and belt it out in off-key as it might be, helps you remind yourself you are proclaiming the name of Jesus. You need to hear it. You need to hear yourself. You want to hear your brothers and sisters do so. I love it. I love to hear you sing. I need it. When I come here, I need to hear you sing because you know what it reminds me of? It makes me think of what heaven will be like when we're singing there with all the angels, right? That might be why you come here. You might come here because you need communion every single week. Some of you come on Wednesdays. We have a a time of worship and prayer on Wednesdays, and we also serve communion there. You might need communion twice a week. Why? Because communion reminds you of God's love for you. Perhaps whatever your story is, you forget that God loved you so much he gave his son. Perhaps you feel unlovable, and the fact that Jesus gave everything for you, when you take communion, it reminds, us, reminds you of that, and you can speak against the lies the enemy tries to put in your mind. And that's why you come, because we do this every Sunday. Maybe you come to the chapel because you want, you want to be able to speak to God, and you want to even hear yourself speak to God. And we create space here at the chapel for you to have those dialogues, have those moments of that dreadful thing called silence. Some people don't like silence, but you do. You come because you want those moments where you can connect with God. And we we create space for that very intentionally here at the chapel. We do so during the worship where there's moments where the music just plays, sometimes just stops playing altogether as we seek to connect with God. And after the message, we have a time where you get to stand up and respond to God. You don't want to just come here, hear a message, and walk out. That's not enough for you. So for you, you like the fact that after the message, we invite you to stand up, walk around the room, and respond to what God's telling you. And you take communion. You light a candle. You go to the confessional. You you have people who pray for you because you need that, because that's why You come here because you want to grow in Christ, and that's one of the ways in which you grow in Christ, in maturity. The other thing, too, is that we're we're a smaller church, not small. Uh, Pretty much once you get over 100 people, you're no longer a small church. We're a mid-sized church in this space, and so what happens is there's enough people so that if you come and you want to be by yourself, you don't want anybody talking to you or bothering you, there's enough people here. Chances are that could happen. People will not bother you. But there's also not so many people that you won't get to make some friends or see them on a regular basis that you can connect. And so it's this perfect amount of people for you where you feel like, I can handle this crowd. I don't feel lost in a larger crowd. That might be the reasons you come once in a while, here and there. Might be the reason you come 
every Sunday. It might be the reason you, you go to the worship center at 9 and come here at 11. Or I have lots of people who go to the worship center Saturday night, and then they come here on Sunday. Lots of reasons you come. But here's the bottom line. When you come, whether you're coming to the chapel, to the worship center, or to any other church in Orange County that proclaims the name of Jesus, your goal is what? To mature in Christ. And so when someone says to you, hey, why do you go to the chapel? I mean, there's like another service going on over there. What's going to be your answer? This is where I come to mature in Christ. I go to the chapel because here I feel I can best mature in Christ. That's what's working for me. Come on, check it out. Maybe this will work for you too. But it's not that we are better. It's just this is a place where we get to proclaim the name of Jesus and help one another grow. The last thing Paul says is that he tells us that we are to teach, to teach. Now, how many of you feel like, I'm a great teacher, I'm all over that line? Yeah, very few of you. I know, it's true. Most of us don't feel like we could teach. In fact, the, the word behind this didasco is to instruct, to direct, to advise, to counsel. And most of us, majority, I mean, it's only a couple of us raise our hands, we feel absolutely inadequate to teach someone else. I work really hard in preparing these messages, and I still feel inadequate myself to fully teach. So, but the reality is we are called to teach. Make no mistake, you're called to teach. In fact, Jane says, not many of you should become teachers because you'll be judged harshly. So I get it. I get why you would go, I'm going to leave that up to you, Inez. I'm staying out of the teaching component. However, here's what it says in Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some of them have, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day coming. See, we come to spur one another, to encourage one another. Ephesians 6 says, and Timothy says, every parent must teach their child. Titus says, older women must teach younger women. Acts 18 and Titus 1 says, mature believers should teach younger believers. We are called to teach what we know. It may be that you know a lot. You know a lot of the Bible. You have a lot of answers. That's awesome. It may be that you know very little, and all you have is your testimony. This is who I was. Then Jesus came into my life, and this is who I am today. That is teaching. Anytime you can share with another person where you are, and you can say, I don't know the answer to that. Let's go look for the answer. I don't have all the answers. None of us have all the answers. But my goal is to grow and mature in Christ, and I invite you to go with me on this journey. You see, our task, as Paul said, is to proclaim Jesus, to help one another grow by perhaps redirecting each other and to teach each other what we know. That's our task. That's how we mature. You know, when you step up to that responsibility, when you accept that responsibility as your calling, you work harder at maturing yourself. When Jim and I years ago got invited to be on the elder board here at Mariner's Church, I remember thinking, oh, gosh, you know, the, one of the first things they ask you to do as an elder is to pray for other people. And we were barely learning how to pray for ourselves, let alone praying for someone else, you know. And we felt so inadequate what was amazing, the very first time we prayed for people, the people that God brought to us 
had stories that matched our stories, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, it's pretty easy to pray for you. I totally get your situation. At least I can relate to it. And praying was easy. But we have to be willing, right? We have to be willing. And as we did it, we got better at it. And I don't know that I'm the greatest prayer warrior, but I'm better than when I started. And that's the same for you. As you mature in Christ, you can compare where was I and look where I'm at today, right? And where am I going tomorrow? Keep your focus on the goal. Make no mistake, that's what God calls you and I to do. And none of us have arrived or will arrive in our lifetime, but we can make progress, right? Now, the tendency is to think, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as I finish here. The tendency is to think, oh, my, Ines, okay, you've told me what I'm supposed to do, and that sounds really hard. Anybody feeling like that sounds really hard? A couple honest people in the room. Yep, all right. Well, it is. Later in the next verse, Paul says, I strenuously contend. I work hard at this. It's, it's work. It's no different than when I decided to run a marathon. It's not like I can just go run a marathon tomorrow and it's like, piece of cake, I got this done. It is a level of work that we have to do. But here's the most important thing I want you to leave with today. You don't do it on your own. You're not to do it on your own strength, not your own wisdom, not your own power. That's what we're going to cover next week. We get to lean in and say, okay, God, I want to mature in Christ. I want to be used by you to help others mature in Christ, but I don't have what it takes. I don't feel like a good teacher. I don't feel like a good proclaimer. I don't, I don't even know how to correct someone because my mind has messed up myself. It's like I need to hear from you. That's what we're going to talk about next week. So as we leave today, let me just leave you with a prayer that we might start this week just thinking about our own maturity and where we want to go. That we might set ourselves a goal, like a step ahead and say, I want to go from here to there. That's all. A baby step, a couple of steps. And next week we'll talk about the power that will take us from where we are today and where we want to go. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege to be in close relationship with you. Father, you are the one who came close. Many of us, Lord, were running away from you, but you pursued. You continuously pursue us, your children, because you love us. And Lord, it's remarkable that you save us. It's even more remarkable that then you choose to use us as vessels to help others. And it's a humbling task, and for many of us, we feel inadequate. And Lord, I pray that as my brothers and sisters I become aware of the calling that you have in their lives, may you help remind them this week that it is by your strength, by your wisdom, by your power that we can actually do what you call us to do. Grow us in deeper relationship with you. Grow us in deeper relationship with one another. Make us more and more like your son. That is our prayer. That is our desire. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Again, this is the moment in the service where we allow you to, well, we invite you, actually, to respond, to spend some time dialoguing with the Lord through the various stations. It's not the time to leave. It's the time to reflect, to, to let these words sprinkle into your, from your mind to your heart. Our elder Richard and his wife Darlene will be right here. Our prayer team is around the room. 
You have the candles, the confession, I'm sorry, the confessional cross, the communion, the prayer wall, the offering boxes. This is like your time. Respond to the Lord. Let's worship him together as we do so. Go ahead. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.